Paschal moon, the full moon of this first springtime. And now we are about to enter into Easter Sunday, the holiest day of the year for some Christians. It's also Passover time for Jews. But where does these where does this celebration come from? Is there other is there other traditions out there that we have forgotten about? What about the Egyptians? We're going to discuss that and more with my guest, Dr. Joanna Kujua, when we get back from the intro. And welcome back to the Gnostic Informant, and you are about to attain true Gnosis. Today, I'm with Dr. Joanna Kujua with this amazing book, The Other Goddess, Mary Magdalene and the Goddess of Eros and Secret Knowledge. I highly recommend it. Some of the topic of, t- of tonight will be part of what's in this book, but we also have new material for an upcoming book as well. So I'm excited to bring you that bring that to Gnostic Informant today. And a uh, link for this book is in the description. I really highly recommend it. Check it out. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for this introduction. And I like your new intro as well. Although, you know, I really miss the funky Jesus that you used to have. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, got, I still have him for the outro. So we're good. <laughs> okay. After we leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the topic of. Well, first of all, people are probably wondering, what's with the title? The Gospel of Mary and the Mysteries of Isis. People are be saying, those are two different Let's bring these together in an interesting way, because I know you have some of, some of this stuff is touched on in the book, but you also have been getting into some of the Egyptian culture that you are starting to explore now for an upcoming book. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. That's right. So maybe I'll just kind of rewind, uh, you know, what happened before when we spoke almost like probably 10 months ago or so when the book was released, The Other Goddess was released. And then The Other Goddess, I kind of uh, uh, discuss, you know, the similarities between Mary Magdalene and earlier goddesses such as Sumerian Nimna or Inanna or Isis especially, and this is of interest for us today. And I also in that book focus on the erotic element of these goddesses. Right. So and and a tantric element of his goddesses. But now, you know, I started to also focus on this other element, you know, that they were always present in the process of, so to speak, resurrection or ascension of the soul. And, you know, what was their their story there, why they were important. And as for Mary Magdalene, and it is important for the Gospel of Mary that we discuss in a moment, it is that I kind of postulated that uh, after the resurrection or whatever, crucifixion, whatever happened there, Mary Magdalene actually went to Alexandria because there was a group in Alexandria then called Therapete of whom uh, Plotinus, uh, not Plotinus, Philo, sorry, <laughs> Philo is, is talking and they invited women of high spiritual development and, you know, of high erudition to be with them, which was very unusual and very Alexandrian, very Gnostic, right? Yeah, th- and so you're talking about the therapeutai. Therapeutai, yes. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. Okay, therapeutai. Thank you, thank you. Please correct me. Yeah, just, no, just in case someone's listening might not have um, caught that. Because yeah. this is, is something yes. that a lot of people have been wondering about. What is Philo talking yeah. about? Therapeutai. Plutarch mentions them. They're, they're, yeah. it, so they get mentioned by a lot of people, but no one really knows what's going on, what are their beliefs. Well, actually, Philo was pretty good because he said they were around Alexandria and also in the rural areas of Alexandria, but they were the educated kind of 
heretics. They're like so, doctors too, healers. Yeah, doctors yeah. and healers, but also spiritual healers, you know, like meaning, so that's why it kind of relates to the ascension of the soul. And they were the one of the very few groups that actually did invite women, but, you know, we have to be highly achieved women, so to speak, spiritually or otherwise, right? And I make a connection with Mary Magdalene going there as a, just a hypothesis, simply because they were also in... in um, in contact with the Essenes, you know, and with other people in uh, in uh, in what we now call Holy Land or Israel or Palestine, right? So I thought it would be like a natural way for her to go, and also I kind of postulated, and again it's just a, a thesis that you know perhaps she and Mary the Jewess or Mary the Alchemist is the same one and the same person who was this woman living in Alexandria who was teaching the ascension of the soul. And, and I'll get into it, the Gospel of Mary teaches the ascension of the soul. Not only this, my third link was that Mary the Jewess or Mary the Alchemist was mentioned by Zosimus. Am I pronouncing it properly? Yeah, Zosimus yeah, yeah. of Panapolis. And Panapolis nowadays is Akmin. And the Gospel of Mary Magdalene was discovered in Akmin. You know, oh, so wow. there was already... I know that. Yeah, so it was discovered in Akmin and Zosimus, you know, who was 200 that, that, years. That's a really good point. Yeah, and he said so there was. We're, we're talking about the same location. The culture's got to be the same culture, too. Yeah, I know. And he says, and actually, you know, the, the library of, um, open library of, um, National Library of Israel says, yes, like there are actually artifacts, you know, this Mary, the alchemist, you know, did exist, you know, and she was an alchemist, and, you know, they have sources and they have archaeological evidence. So I think it's interesting that she was teaching the ascension of the soul, you know, the spiritual alchemy, and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene is teaching the same thing, right? And we'll get into this. So I think there is already a strong Egyptian connection there. So uh, today I would like to focus on the fact that, you know, the Gospel of Mary was found in Egypt, and, uh, and we should be looking at, you know, how um, um, Egyptian influences and how Egyptians would read it. Because even now, and in my opinion, the best translation of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene is by Jean-Yves Leloup, who is a is French it, scholar. Is it a Coptic text or a Greek text? Oh, I'll get into it. Okay, because okay. there are two different papyri, all right? right? All right. So he's, you know, he's very friendly towards the Gnostics and so on. Uh, however, you know, he's looking at it and he's like a giant, spiritual giant. So, you know, I'm feel really bad like you know, correcting him i'm just adding to what he says yeah <laughs> because he, he looks at it from a perspective of christian theology so in a way everything is like holy spirit and i think you know holy spirit is such a christian concept what what about what did egyptians think about you know this gospel how would they read it right so this is for me a point of a kind of entry here so uh, if I'll just answer your question now. So first of all, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene was found first in around 1896. I think this is like a date that most people agree on. And in Akmin, this is where Zosimus used to live, right? That's why I think it is uh, quite important. And it was uh, sold for to a German collector who, you know, that's why it is called the Berlin Papyrus or the Berlin Codex. Right. It was uh, sold to a German collector and it was dated when, you know, other people looked at it, linguists looked at it uh, into 400s, which is quite late. However, the more they looked at it, they realized and it was written in the Sahidic Coptic. 
Oh, okay. interesting. And they were saying that, you know, they're just kind of borrowings, grammatical borrowings and kind of expressions that do not belong to Sahidic Coptic, that are probably earlier. But they didn't have any evidence until later they found um, another piece of uh, the Gospel, Gospel of Mary Magdalene written in Greek. And it is on the other side of Nile because uh, uh, Akmin is like... Um, on the east side of Nile, and this other place, which is Oxyricus, I think I pronounced it properly, Oxyricus, was found across the Nile, kind of diagonally, I think it's about 150 kilometers south of Cairo, and this part of the Gospel of Mary is um, written in, in Greek, and it's dated to the second century, some people think that it's maybe as early as 90s to 150. So wow. it's a, a much earlier copy than the one found in Akmin. So this, the second one is called the Ryland Papyrus. And for some reason, when you do research, you know, they seldom talk about the Ryland Papyrus because it is much earlier, I think. I think it's a bit devious. You know, they want the Gospel of Mary to be really late, right? Right. When this one, if it was written in the 90s, it's basically as old as the Gospel of John. Yeah, it's right yes. on top of the other Gospels, in my opinion. Yeah. So, so I think this is interesting, and I think we should not kind of disregard it that it was found in Egypt, right? So there's a strong Egyptian collection right, right there. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, and before I kind of launch into this, I want to apologize to your, you know, viewers also because uh, I have secret notes around me. I would have to put on my glasses probably to read them because uh, this is just my new research. Right. So I'm just kind of it's not in a perfect order yet and so on. But I started to look, you know, at uh, some of my own influences, because apart from being as I primarily call myself spiritual detective. So although I'm an academic and a scholar, I'm also like an experiencer, you know, so I'm reading the text for spiritual evolution, too, you know, although I, I'm not religious in a institutional sense. So I was looking into, you know, uh, uh, different stories, histories of Egypt. And, and I came across some people from the early 20th century, especially Paul Branton, who is like the spiritual detective. Okay, he wrote two very influential books. One is A Search in Secret India, and the other one is A Search in Secret Egypt. You know, so he has a cult following the same like Hermann Hesse has. Okay, except that he's writing nonfiction. And the reason why I, tr I trust him, it is because when I was deeply, you know, immersed in esoteric Hinduism and I read his book, his experiences were the same as my experiences. And he actually met major Hindu teachers such as Ramana Maharshi and introduced them to the West. Okay, so I think he's a genuine thing, right? And he also did research and went to Egypt. And, you know, was interested in, you know, what did Egyptians believe, you know, what are the spiritual experiences? And he, when he spoke to Egyptians and he did some research, he kind of did what now alternative uh, Egyptologists do. He said that according to his opinion and people he was speaking to, Egyptian uh, civilization started right at its peak. That's why he thinks that it was probably started by a different civilization, because it is not like we think that, you know, there were like small huts and then people were like, uh, growing some papyri along the Nile or whatever it is that they're growing and then they build pyramids. He says, no, it's quite the opposite. You know, it started at its peak 
and it eventually started, the whole culture, including mythology or theology, started to degrade because there was less and less understanding what was involved in the wow. rituals. So I think it is important to know because, for example, he says that, the, and I didn't know it, you know, because it's a new research for me, that, for example, Sphinx was found, uh, found, not built. 5,000 years ago during the fourth dynasty and they thought wow that's really ancient you know so they uncovered it because of a sense of uh, Sahara you know it right. was covered so that this small part was sticking out and for them even for what we consider ancient Egyptians it was already an ancient thing they didn't build it they discovered it right yeah so and for some reason and there's this ongoing uh, obviously dialogue which is not very friendly between academics you know who have like one theory about egypt and there's additional theories but what i liked about branton is also uh, that he says that hieroglyphics and this is common with other esoteric traditions whether hindu or even gnosticism had three levels of meaning so one meaning is, you know, like regular meaning, you speak like we speak, right? So just very basic mundane stuff, you know, like when we have a conversation with friends. The second one was for the priests who knew some mythological narratives, like for example, you know, Osiris was killed by his brother, his wife and consort Isis, you know, uh, found 14 or 42 pieces of his body, you know, depending on a, on a story, you know, and. Uh, in my uh, the other goddess, I, I also explain, you know, that Tinas was really important. You know, she needed to resurrect him, right? And then she conceived, you know, child Horus, yeah, through this. But they don't know the spiritual meaning behind it. Okay, they just tell you stories the way I would say maybe Catholic priests or some other ministers tell you the story of Jesus or Mary, but they just know the narrative that was given to them without understanding. What the narrative is about does it make sense yeah and then he says there's a third level of meaning to hieroglyphics which actually only the hierophants knew that they passed over to initiates and this is the lost meaning so to speak of uh, inner mysteries yeah inner mysteries and that caught my attention for two reasons because in esoteric hinduism you also have actually more even levels than that you know, and the biggest level is called para. It is when you speak, for example, let it be, it actually happens. Not like I speak, let it be, nothing happens. <laughs> but if I let it be, because it depends from what level of awareness of spiritual consciousness you speak it. Wow. Okay? And this is what Gospel of Mary actually is about. So this exists in esoteric Hinduism to survive different levels of language. And human beings, if they do evolve their consciousness and their ways of doing it, yeah, and the same in Gospel of Mary, she's giving us a way of doing it, then your language becomes para, or what the top level of hieroglyphics. You're actually a total creator. What you say happens instantly. But yeah. not, so you can say the same thing, and, you know, nothing happens because, and I'll explain when I speak about the Gospel of Mary, you're, you know, in the material level but if you're on the fourth level according to the gospel of mary then it happens because you're one with cosmic consciousness you're one with the divine mind wow that's fascinating uh imposter sir spence thank you for your super chat just wanted to this is a good question what's in the gospel of mary um do you want to okay so do you want me to jump there because this is the next point so no, yeah i just wanted i didn't know if you wanted to 
Yeah, I'm totally going to most of the right, show. Let's I hold that thought then. Let's keep going. With what you're and we'll I'm going to discuss it. So thank you. And thank you for this yeah. very important we'll, question. We'll circle back to it. I just wanted to make sure. That yeah, we'll circle back to this. I just want to say, because, you know, why Why am I looking into Egypt? And then I'll go like, okay, we have to look at it the way Egyptians did. And then I'll tell you what's there. Does yeah. it make sense? Yeah? yeah. Because it's an excellent question. So, um and also, you know, uh, in, in Gnostic circles, they said that Jesus gave free or Christ or Savior teacher, right? Like this is depend which Gnostic readings you, you use, uh, say that there were three levels of teachings. One for the people around the Lake of Galilee, you know, the stories in the Bible, which are very simple and so simple, but I sometimes don't know what they are about, right? Because they make no sense to me most of the time, right? Second one is, you know, that he gave to people like his disciples. And the third one, that it was esoteric teachings that he gave to Mary, Magdalene, and sometimes to Mary and John, depending, you know, who is writing this. So, so I just want to say that in all esoteric traditions, whether in India or even Gnosticism, and here also in, in Egypt, there are three levels, at least three levels of speech. Okay, and the meaning of language and also hieroglyphics were considered the language of the gods, which was forgotten. And people just started to use it just for mundane things like conversation, you know, buy your groceries, you know, call your wife kind of thing. Yeah. And the same is, is said about, you know, uh, Sanskrit, that it was a language of the gods and eventually it was completely forgotten and only scholars read it, but they don't understand how to use it and the level of para, which means, you know, makes you, you're one with God, you know, you're God. You're not different from God, right? Because you have the power of creation if you reach this level of awareness. So before I, you know, jump into it, I just want to say that uh, the Gospel of Mary uh, uh, is that uh, Paul Branton, you know, the one who wrote in Search in Secret India and Search in Secret Egypt, and I know he had genuine experiences in India. That's why I kind of trust his experiences in Egypt is that he actually, so this is a great story that is repeated by many, uh, many scholars and also alternative, you know, esoteric sources that, you know, he was, I think in late 1920s, he went to Egypt and because he was, he was quite influential and he kind of knew British ambassadors and so on, he uh, let himself in, he was allowed to spend the night in the pyramid of Giza by himself, locked away. And he claims that he had the experience of uh, what is described, you know, as an esoteric meaning of a mysteries of Isis, right? So we can believe it or not, right? But he describes this experience. So, for example, he says, the reason why it is difficult to read this part of his book, it is because he goes into archaeological and spiritual at the same time. And, you know, like, okay, like, which one am I following, right? Like two plots that are interweaving too often. But for example, he mentions that the, in the, uh, the pyramid of Giza, there's the sarcophagus, which is, you know, 150 feet above the ground. And the sarcophagus is definitely not a burial uh, kind of place because Egyptians actually put burials deep in the vaults on the ground. And they, it usually had lots of inscriptions and so on. This one is above the ground and has no uh, inscriptions. So he says that he believes that this was actually used for the mysteries of Isis. So basically initiates, and you had to be like highly evolved initiate, right? Were taken by the hierophants, am I pronouncing it properly? Hierophant, yeah. Hierophants, you know, to, to this uh, uh, 
sarcophagus and then they perform certain rituals and possibly give them some drugs as well, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's I was talking about that last night. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, another scholar on it. When you get initiated, you take the you take the right, you take the drug. Yeah. And, you and drink so the you should, or the soma or whatever it is, you drink. Yeah, it. it's part and of the that, ritual. Yeah, it's part of a ritual, and it was not just to stupefy you. It was the right. opposite. So you can get out of your, you know, it's the contact. It's how you contact the god. It's the it's that That's medium. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and otherwise, like, what am I going to do tomorrow? How am I going to pay the rent? You know, is she going to call me back? You know, forget that shit. You know, you need, that, you need that. Yeah, I, I totally understand it. I it's totally like ayahuasca, it. probably, which I one day would really like to try. I never did. You know, I've tried it. Yeah, was it good? Oh, I can see why yeah. people. I can. That's why I understand when people talk about, oh, yeah. I met God when I when I took DMT. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I get it. Because I, 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 I tried, I tried it before, and I know exactly what you're saying, and you're not lying. Yeah, it, is exactly. a, it, it is an out of this world experience. But yeah, I have to do it. But I want to do it properly. You, know, you know, I have to do it. <laughs> I have to do it. Yeah, I definitely. But I want Most to do people it don't say that, but that's funny. That's awesome. I have to do this, and I, but I want to go like to you know there are some places in the Amazon. They're like serious shamans, you know, and you know, drag me up, and I will see. Which is funny that I'm saying it because I actually never even smoke anything, you know. But I was. <laughs> I want to do, you know, like I'm like it's life changing. It's life changing. Yeah. yeah, because I believe it is a spiritual experience. So anyway, so they give you some drugs, so you know, get away from your regular conscious level of consciousness. And he says that he actually went through this experience, like on a, some kind of spiritual level. That first he was faced by some kind of horror figures, you know, that were chasing him through the pyramid. He was like totally horrified, but because he was. You know, spent lots of time in India and he was using to meditation. He was a serious seeker, right? So he says he just sat down and focused and witness, you know, what witness what is presenting itself to you. And eventually this kind of hellish images disappeared. And it was like a test. And then two kind of out-of-body hierophants showed up, took him to sarcophagus and went through the whole ritual. You know, when he actually had an out-of-body experience, he saw himself lying, you know, in a sarcophagus. And, and you know, and uh, and he said, now you can see the face of God, you know, and also to prove. So he argues that the whole thing was about proving for initiates, advanced initiates, that you are not this body. You know, you have an experience in this body and then you can ascend from the body during this lifetime and also after your lifetime. So it's a little bit like in the Gospel of Philip when they say, if you think that you die and you're resurrected, you're a complete idiot. You have to first get resurrected and then die. This is what Gospel of Philip says, right? Wow. So basically it refers back. You have to know that you're immortal within this body and you actually can go out in and out of the body anytime if you have proper level of conscious, developed consciousness. So... So I don't know, this is a very often quoted kind of experience of Paul Branton, so we can believe it or not, but it basically it describes what the Egyptians were doing according you know, to esoteric sources. You take a higher initiate through hierophants, right? Would take you, but like bodily hierophants, he had just a kind of out-of-body hierophants, right? And they would take you, you know, drag you up, they would show you, and then you know, you would see the face of God, and you realize that you actually your body's lying there and you can go in and out. And it's quite interesting because, especially at Karnak, temples of Karnak, which is actually the most beautiful temples devoted to Isis and Amunet, which is another goddess, which is actually Isis and Hathor, the same. What they show 
is basically they show that Osiris is basically stands for initiate. You know, you want to have this experience and you know you're serious seeker. You know, this is for serious seekers. You don't do it out of curiosity because you get a beating, you know, you, you end up in hellish consciousness, right? Yeah. Osiris that's, represents that's, us. That's exactly what happens. They call it bad trips because yeah, you're, you're not in the right state for this. You're not, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're doing this for the, like, it, it's amazing how that works out that way. Yeah, it is. So I actually was reading some esoteric sources and they said, are you a true speaker? Because otherwise don't waste my time and you have, you know, hellish time, right? So, so you have to be serious. So Almost you, like you're rejected by the God. Well, I hate to you, say it, but it's almost yeah, like that. rejected like, because you're not serious, you know. Like, do right, you want yeah, to know, yeah, or yeah. you just you want to tell your friends, dude, I had this experience? Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was awesome. So no, you, you you don't do it for this reason, right? So Osiris actually in in Egyptian mysteries represents a, a serious initiate, and I will explain later also why. And he is also, you know. Uh, God, the goddess like Isis or Amunet comes and torches him on the head with the anks. Ank. Okay, so it's in the third third eye, which is also extremely hindered. It right? looks because, like a cross. It looks like a cross, kind of. Yeah, it looks like a cross. You know, just you know, wake him up, right? And and then what Horus represents? It's not a child. It is Osiris who already had this experience of ascension of the soul. Because Horus is shown in a way that the cobra is on top of your head, which is basically in a, in a images of Osiris, the cobra is going in his direction, upright cobra, which is a little bit like you know Kundalini energy in, in in India. And then Osiris already is awakened because the cobra is already you know on top of his head, and he also has a finger on top of his mouth, which is, means I now know, but I'm not allowed to speak about it because for some reason it was protected with secrecy. You and I said Horace, Horus has the, does that a lot too. And in, in his, in this his, is Horus, exactly. Horus is doing it, you know. Yeah. So oh, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's awakened, you know, he's awakened because the cobra is upright and it's on top of his head, which means, you know, went through all the, the energetic centers. And he says, you cannot talk about it, which kind of uh, makes me curious because in esoteric tantra which i discussed in the other goddess they, they did the same thing but i said you cannot speak about it but i thought maybe because it was a sexual ritual and it's so outrageous right yeah exactly thank you that's perfect thank you perfect. there's a whole bunch of them like this there's a lot yeah. of them. yeah so this is all over the place yeah yeah so so i wonder why this is not even sexual as far as we know although you know she did need his penis to resurrect him you know so i don't know so um oh look at this one Look at this one real quick. Just uh, not to cut you. Yeah. But this, this no, one no, is, no. I love it. I love it. That, well, look yeah, at that one. Exactly. That's, that's he it. He actually that's has it. the the erection. It looks like the snake on his head, you know? Exactly. So it's like snake with kind of an, an, an erect cobra, right? Which yeah. Is wow. And, you know, and I, 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 I now know, you know, I, 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 I am one with the gods. In fact, I am God. And if you remember in my last talk when I am discussing in the other goddess, after sexual ritual, you walk like gods and goddesses on earth. So, you know, he, he is that now. and But for some reason, you cannot speak about it. So I don't know. I have to explore it, you know, for my next book. Why is it? Because I said in the other goddess, I said maybe because it was a sexual ritual in Tantra. So, you know, it's just so outrageous. But here, why, why not speak? about being awakened 
Like it's almost. But you know, that's kind of a common theme in the mysteries, and like in in the Eleusinian mysteries, which is very much connected to Egypt. Yeah, because Bacchus is basically like Osiris, and Demeter is like Isis. Mm. In those mysteries, you're not supposed to tell anybody what you saw. I know. Yeah, it's and I wonder why. I wonder why. So and and so so yeah. I wonder why. You're right. I wonder why. So I, I want to explore it later, but as I said, it's a work in progress at the moment, right? So when I was writing The Other Goddess, this is what I knew. And now, and I mentioned, you know, and I write about the Gospel of Mary, and I thought I got it, and of course I didn't get it. And now I think, ah, you know, I know so much more, you know, because I studied this Gospel for 17 years, and I finally started to get some insights. So I just wanted to set this kind of uh, background before I speak about the Gospel of Mary, I'm just checking the time. Okay. Uh, be- before I speak about what's actually in the Gospel of Mary, if you don't mind. Eh? Yeah, sure. So, Absolutely. so first of all, as I said, we already know. Yeah. It's, I love it. Yeah. I love this. And story. you know, I'm not terribly into Bacchus, but I always, even before I you know, was interested in any of this ages ago when I lived in Toronto, I was fascinated with Di- Dionysus, you know, and he's actually the Bacchus, right? Like, yeah, and, just- and Diodorus. Diodorus yeah. and Herodotus both say that Bacchus is Osiris. Yeah, he's no Osiris. One of them's Greek, one of them's Egyptian, but they're the same god. That's what he, that's what they yeah. say. And and that's why, you know, although people talk about religion and mysteries and so on, but I would say that they actually got it from Egypt. I would tell you, because it's a much ancient, more ancient culture. And any smart Greek, like Solon, Pythagoras, they always you know, went to Egypt. They, they were, and they were, I don't know which one was it, I think it was Solon who was banging at the doors of temp, the temple, you know, waited for three years, ate, you know, some geckos on the desert and they let him in, you know, and, and, and share some of the wisdom, right? Yeah, Plato, Plato you, says that Solon went to Egypt to bring the laws back to, to Athens. That's right, yes. Pythagoras, had a, Pythagoras traveled to Egypt and Babylon and then went back to Italy and then started okay. his school. It's always that's Egypt. Right. Egypt's always in the center, yes. really. Yeah, that's right. And that's why you know the theory that it actually degenerated with time kind of makes sense to me. But I don't have maybe time to discuss this, discuss it more because people started to lose what is actually the mystery about you know the ISIS. You know, it became the three levels of language of hieroglyphics. They, they all they had eventually it was um, uh, the second level, the first and second level. Like we know the story, but. We don't know what it is about. Somebody somebody said Priapus, so I just had to pull yeah. it out for him. That's all. Yeah, well, yeah. So this is probably to do something with uh, sexual mysteries that I discuss in The Other Goddess. You know, that's why, you know, sexual organs are very important. And, and, and uh, that's why Isis needed his penis, you know. But I discuss it in The Other Goddess. So let's move to what's in the Gospel of Mary, right? Because somebody already asked a question. So first of all, yes. we don't have a full Gospel of Mary which you probably very well known, we have only parts of this. Part, even when we put the two papyri together, you know, the Berlin papyrus from Akmin and the Ryland papyrus from Oxyricon, we have only parts of a gospel. So we have to kind of improvise. Not only it's extremely mysterious and difficult, we still have to improvise. So first of all, first six pages are missing. So we start with page seven. In page seven, the teacher, capital T, you know, the teacher, because it's not called Christ or Jesus, the teacher, you know, so the Peter asked the teacher, right? Peter, there are two main contents in the first part of the Gospel of Mary. Peter asked, asks the teacher, teacher, 
please tell us about the sin of the world. Sin of the world, right? And the teacher answers, Peter, sin as such does not exist. Okay, that's very interesting. He says, he, he says it's only sin because you call it sin. Yes, it's only sin because you call it sin. And I was then like, he, dude, this is a Jesus that I like. <laughs> I like this Jesus. This is a different yeah. Jesus in this That's story. why I spent 17 says, years. There is no sin. You, yeah, it's only there is sin no sin. And I call it sin. And like you, oh, I, you know, I no was not a Catholic, you know, and it is just like, I'm not worthy. And, you know, I didn't do anything, but I'm not worthy. You know, what's going on? Right? So, uh, and but he explains further, which I think it's really interesting. He says, what happens, because we are going back to these levels of different consciousness that Egyptians were talking about, if you do something from a low level, lowest level of consciousness, then there will be consequences of low kind, right? So, for example, if you do something out of greed or you do something out of hate, it's not that it's like bad or something, you know, objectively, but there will be price to pay. Right. So basically, it's almost like immediate karma. Right. Like if you act like a moron, you know, it will get back to you eventually. Right. So immediately he's talking about levels of consciousness, which is second part of the act, which I want to focus on. So it's interesting. And he says, but if you do something from a high level of consciousness, you know, which is basically your intentionality, really, I'm just interpreting here, then uh, the consequences will be good. You create good. You're actually the creator. Right. Now, the second part, so this is a Jesus I like too. We are on the same page. The sec- in, the, in the second part of the first part, the second question that is asked actually is, what about laws, Peter asked. Should we have more laws? You know, because in Jewish culture, do this, don't do that, a lot of this, right? In said, we don't, get said, don't make laws like the lawless ones do. Isn't it? Such That's a- right. He says, don't, don't. No more laws. Oh, I remember, I remember reading this and being like, what? I know. Don't make laws like the lawless ones do. That's right. And no, that is like, I love it. I love it. He says, All because right. we'll be bound by them. So he because wanted we'll be bound to by them. Right. I forgot about that yeah. part. We will be bound by them. No, there's no need for more laws, he says. And also, and that's really important, he says, don't listen to others who tell you the truth is there, the truth is here, and they point into outside things. The truth lives within you. Yeah. As me. Yeah, right? this is a brilliant Basically, text. This is a brilliant text. Yeah, and he says, so the gnosis is within you. Don't ignore what the other saying. And it almost like he doesn't say it, but because there is no loss, you know, forget the loss, you know, what, what's what's here. You know, I live within you as as you, you know, I, I am in you, right? So my peace is within you. The wisdom, the gnosis is within you. So forget no, because it just it will bring you down. And if you read uh, the Gospel of Mary, especially the second part, you know, the level of consciousness is the key to ascension. Okay? So if you just follow the laws, you're at the lowest level of consciousness. So you're not only bound, your freedom is, you know, uh, limited, but you also cannot evolve. Because, you know, there are so many restrictions and... This is where the second part is coming, which I think is the coolest part of the Gospel of Mary, but also the most mysterious. Okay, so these are the first two things from the first part, and now I'm moving to the second part. So the second part, I think, pages eleven to fourteen. I just let me check my notes. Eleven to fourteen are missing, and then we start with page fifteen. 
So uh, this yeah. is this is when uh, the disciples Jesus went away. This is all they say. But also they say, you know, like they they get rid of him. What about us? Right? They are scared. The disciples are scared and come to Mary Magdalene, and they basically say, "Sister." What did he tell you that he didn't tell us? Yeah, exactly. I love and then, it. And then she, because this is why I love this this text because in this text Mary's the one with the secret knowledge and all these other bozo disciples they don't know shit they're like mary help us what did he what did he tell you and then uh i think it's andrew who's like don't listen to her she doesn't know and peter's like brah who are you to say what she knows if if jesus wanted to tell her the secrets then he told her the secrets actually yeah you're very close but actually peter is the villain Oh, it's the other way around. Okay, all right. Yeah. Been a while especially in, in this gospel represents like the institutionalized Oh, religion. but that makes sense that Peter has to be the villain because he represents Rome. That's he's right. He represents Rome, institutionalized so Peter, religion. Peter the patriarch comes over and is like, don't listen to her. She doesn't yeah. know anything. And yeah, Mary, Mary, so Peter kind of represents like this Roman patriarchal system. Yeah. Mary yeah. represents this feminine Egyptian ISIS yeah. type of mindset yeah. down. Yeah, I like it. I like this interpretation. But also he represents the lower level of consciousness. Because like, what about the laws? Am I not a sinner? You know, like, how come there are no sinners? Like, he doesn't get it, basically. That's yeah, that's a, that's, a, I, that's a really good way to put it. That's probably true. That's, I think you're onto something there. And you know, and you're right, too. She represents this other feminine. She represents and, this other type of Christianity that's like, not all about the doctrines <laughs> and the laws. Never happened. <laughs> Never happened, right. Never happened. So, and, and you know, and they say, okay, sister, we know that the teacher shared uh, teachings with you that he didn't share with us. Thank you. Me for me too. That she didn't share with us. Please share what the teacher shared with us. I'm uh, paraphrasing, right? And and she says, of course, my brothers, right? She covers them. You know, I will tell you what he told me. He had told me. So they come to her. Right after they are scared because you know we said they punished him. What about us? They will punish us too, you know. So tell us, remind us what you know he told you that he didn't tell us. And then she says that she saw, and so it's very different from you know Easter stories, that she saw him in a vision. Okay, in a vision. However, here the vision is not like an imaginary vision, because she when he she sees him. She says, yeah, he says, Mary, you're blessed because you can see me when others cannot perceive me, basically, right? So she's blessed. And she says, do I see you through psyche, psyche, and I'll explain what it means, or do I see you through uh, pneuma or pneuma, you know, which are different levels of consciousness. I'll get into it. This yeah, point. the Greeks know this stuff. This would, this would, if you're a Greek, native speaker you read this and you know what it means in english you're like what the hell's going on yeah i'll explain it. So it so don't worry about it and he says no uh you see me in between which is the noose and i will explain now okay so sure. she he shows himself to her simply because her she is on a different level of consciousness than other disciples so he was there but they couldn't perceive him because like Peter, they were on a lower level of consciousness. So now I'm going to go to different levels of consciousness. And it is going to be a little bit tricky, so I put on my glasses, okay? So I don't make any mistakes. So first of all, uh, the soul, she explains, we, we assume that she explains the 
ascension of a soul because there are a few pages missing and she goes through the four levels of energies four levels of energies as some translators call it four levels of climates of the soul but basically different levels of energies or different levels of consciousness which is very common in all the esoteric traditions including tantra but okay let's focus and i'm going to go back to egypt so I'll explain egyptian and greek meaning of each so the first one is missing but because we know what the next three are we know that the first one must have been soma so what is soma soma is basically you believe only in material existence so basically there's like three-dimensional existence you are this uh, bag of meat you know somebody tells you to inject something you inject something somebody wants you to put a chip in your brain you accept it because you want to live longer you, you don't believe there is another form of consciousness yeah yeah so this is very basic so this is very basic so uh soma which is basically asleep you just believe you just were born and there's no cause for it and you die and too bad you know just try to make the best of this and this is like very you believe only in material existence right and it's called soma right so you're caught in this material existence you don't understand why right and you just maybe try to do the best of this right and that's why you need laws and stuff because you know you need some rules of behavior you have no access to anything else the second level so this is the first level that the soul has to raise itself or herself above right uh in the ascension of a soul you have to get out of your head that you're just a body and your material being right the second level is associated with desire or craving or not enoughness you know which basically it relates to psyche psyche in in greek psyche now psyche in uh, what's psyche because this is actually it's very often it's translated in Christianity as soul, but the Greeks and Egyptians understand it completely different. And there's a different. connection with Eros because of the myth of Suke and Eros. Yeah. yeah common Greek yeah. motif. Yeah, it's a common Greek, which is basically, yes, and I have to write about it because so many people talk to me about it, but I just want to focus now. But you are completely right. So, <clears throat> Psyche, basically, which is also called Diet in Egyptian, Psyche and Diet is the same thing, okay. And in Hinduism, because I talk about esoteric Hinduism, it's called Sushumna. So you have Psyche, Diet in Egypt. Sorry, I'm showing a finger, but I didn't mean to do this. And Sushumna. What's happening there? This is basically where in your body, wherever you know, it's it's subtle body, right? All your memories and desires are stored so to ascend you have to drop them like a garment she says it what does it mean so for example if you want to if you have an unfulfilled desire in this lifetime like i don't want to i don't know maybe you want to be a famous writer or maybe you want to be a professor or maybe you want to be as famous as joe rogan or something right <laughs> so you can either you know you can either let go of this desire you know and if you can't you know you have to do this you just get rid of this design one way or another okay so this is like esoteric teachings but basically in um, in mary magdalene she says the second level is this psyche or diet which is basically where all your in psyche all desires and all addictions also 
are stored. So if you do not work on them, basically I'm just interpreting, right? If you don't work on them, you have to carry them to next incarnations and so on. They bring your soul down. So can I explain from my personal experience? Yeah. Because otherwise the text is so esoteric, you have to make it personal. I love any personal experiences. I love it. Bring it, bring it. So for example, like I already had an experience of next level of consciousness through initiation, similar to, you know, what we are talking about. But I had so many unfulfilled desires that I brought myself down. Like I was so the face of God, but I said, how can I finish my PhD now? Uh, do I still want to be a professor? Do I want to write this book? So these desires brought me down to the second level of psyche or diet. Do you understand? Because I actually, I will explain third level in a moment. Although I had access through news, you know, to higher consciousness because of initiation, I had so much that I wanted to do yet, which were like from a spiritual point of view on a lower level that I couldn't merge with divine consciousness do, do you understand what i'm meaning yeah like what about this right that's why just esoteric teachers and i'm just adding it outside of the gospel of mary basically they say if you have a desire either let it go if possible if not go for it like our procreations did go for it you know or something because then you learn that it wasn't worth it really you know it was good for a moment and then you were where you are where you were yeah are you going to be really more happy when you're a professor? You know, like it's your sense of accomplishment, but yes. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So so basically, and what's interesting also, the diet, which is the Egyptian name for you know this, is called also Osiris' spine. Okay? It's Osiris' spine, and when you Google Osiris' spine, you know, there are in, in reliefs and in, it's shown in the back of Osiris. And this is actually the initiate's spine, which is, this is where Diet is, which is where all the uh, these unfulfilled desires and maybe negative tendencies are stored. So basically through initiation, you know, you have to clear these desires from the spine of Osiris. Does it make sense? If I'm yeah. getting too technical, just tell me, Joanna, explain well, again. Let me, let me just ask you one one question, and then this is all amazing, by the way. But I was wondering, is this what you mean by Osiris' spine? Yes or no? I'm pulling it up right now. Is this what, they, is this what they're talking about? Yeah, that's Osiris' spine. Oh, okay. Spine. Wow. Okay. Exactly. It's Osiris' spine, and as you say, it has also different four levels. You see, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And here there are four lower levels. levels. So, so is it like the four levels of the mysteries that we're getting at? Yeah levels of mysteries so. oh this is good this is getting good so, right, go yeah, and it's in esoteric in esoteric tantra it's the same right so i'm just that's what i'm saying so in esoteric tantra it's also called vasanas which is this desires that are just you know bringing you down nothing wrong again nothing wrong there's no sin in having desires but if you if you want to ascend, you know, you have to do something about it or forget about ascension for now and enjoy life okay so there is no judgment there Okay, so that's different. That's why there is no sin. You can, there's no problem, you know, do whatever. But so it's the second level. So psyche or psyche, you know, if you just read in Greek, or diet or in, in ancient Egyptian, or, you know, sushuna in esoteric tantra is one and the same thing. You know, this is one of these desires. That's why the second this level. Is is of, this is one of those words that pop up all throughout these cultures that, like, like janana, gnosis, and. Veda, yeah. like all these words that 
they they're, they're in different languages, but they sort of they don't just mean the same thing, but they have the same importance. They have the same importance as they yeah. say, almost like the same level of awakening, so to speak. They bring it up because these words are very powerful. You know, we are talking about different levels of language, so this is like the next level of language, right? And and that's why the second part uh, that you level of consciousness that you have to move through, you know, of initiation is letting go of your craving or desire, right? Because the second one is Mary says, my Mary says the soul is moving, you have to drop the craving, right? And the, and the cravings are stored in your diet or in your psyche or psyche, right? So it's the second level. So you have to let it go and she says, drop it like a garment, right? You can drop it like a garment. Then the third one is noose. So noose, you know, Gnostics, uh, Gnostic scholars argue about it. Some people say it's hard, but I think noose is basically higher level of consciousness. And in uh, Hinduism, it is called the Buddhi, which is the intuitive mind. You know, this is higher mind. And also, even in Christian theology, it is called um, intellection. Thomas Aquinas called it intellection. intellection yeah. Immediate grasping of a truth. You don't go through reasoning, therefore, you know, this, this, therefore, that. It's like right? some, you just get it. You just get it. You just get it. You don't even know. It's some people call it like new age people. I got a download, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is this kind of thing. It's it's uh, what Orpheus says when Orpheus says those who have ears to hear that's can right. hear. But but if you don't, if you don't have ears to hear, get out. It's yeah, not that's right. Because, because it means nothing to you, right? Yeah. So and and, and because you, you're not on this level of consciousness, and therefore you speak also the language. You don't understand the language we speak because you didn't, you know, didn't make this effort, you know, you didn't go through the initiation and so on. So this is it. So uh, this one also in Egyptian is called, so basically it is like a hook to the highest cosmic consciousness. So you have access to the source. You start to, you can see the gods, so to speak, but you cannot be one with the gods yet. And this is how she saw Jesus or the teacher, Mary Magdalene, through the news because he told her this because you're not fully established in it. So, for example, we all, like serious spiritual seekers, you we have experiences, but then like, ah, back to level two, right? I want this, I don't want, yeah? Yeah, we are back into mundane. So, news, it gives you access, but you are not, it's almost like, sometimes you get it in a good meditation or you just, you know, do something, act of grace in Christian, yeah? or whatever, it happens. You have a great sexual experience, that happens, but then you lose it, right? You, you, you know it's there, but you don't know how to hold on to this, right? That's why the third level of news, it's also known you have to live up against your ignorance. So what is ignorance? It's wrong understanding. So for example, not understanding what is really important. And this is what Jesus, the teacher teaches in the first part, you know, don't say this is right, this is wrong, go within. Right? When you have a well-developed nose, you go within. You listen to the higher knowledge, to your booty, you know, or your or your intellection, or your, you know, and it's called also Sekem. In Egypt, they have this concept. It's called Sekem. Not Sekhmet, which is a goddess, but Sekem. Sekem is spiritual wisdom. So now you have access to spiritual wisdom. Okay? So you have Sekem. So it's in Egyptian, Sekem. You have spiritual wisdom so you can you have to then let go of your ignorance so i get few personal examples so which i gave before so because of my initiation i had an access i had second or nose 
but I still was like caught up by my second level of consciousness. I want this, I want this, I want that. Will I be able to do it when I am, you know, uh, in, in some kind of divine ecstasy? Do you understand? The fear clicks in. Yeah. Yeah, and you think I have things to do? What about my PhD, which is so ridiculous now? You know? <laughs> what about my thought was like, here I am in complete bliss, and I see the face, you know, that I'm one of cosmic consciousness, and, I, and then the thought comes out from a lower level of consciousness. What about your PhD? Yeah, because I'm just about to finish it, and it brings you down. So it means you have access, but your desires or addictions, it could be that you have a alcohol addiction or sex addiction or something they bring you down right because you think i'll just have a drink or you know i'll just oh, this or that right so this is so when to move against this ignorance you know you, you surrender to higher wisdom you know so it which is second or or which is the body or which is intellection or which is noose which is hooked to divine, divine source right so you have to do this and the fourth one, you know, it is called Raf, but it's quite unfortunate that it has name actually. And it has seven elements, but what it really represents, it is our latent concepts and our latent emotions that are still preventing us from staying with the cosmic consciousness or divine consciousness at all time. To be like what gods and goddesses walking on earth. So uh, it could be a form of jealousy, you know, like you're envious of someone still, you know, or it could be something good. I was talking to an activist, you know. So, for example, because you are, you know, there's so much evil in the world. So you are really angry still about it. And you think like, how can I get rid of this evil? And you start to use the methods of the archons, so to speak. Right. So archons are on the much lower level of consciousness which means you bring yourself down for a good reason. But this is not the way to fight the evil. Do you understand? So all latent things. And in the Gospel of Mary, it, for example, it could be like your latent self-doubt, like who says, who do you think you are? Self-doubt and so on. And for example, this is what the soul is as or external forces. The soul is assaulted like so. Uh, something like, uh, where are you going, vagabond? <laughs> right? Uh, who do you think you are, murderer? You know, so you either you put yourself down or the forces of the world put you down. So imagine like you are on a spiritual path and what your family does to you, basically, right? <laughs> so this is what happens, right? But also your own self-doubt, because in the Gospel of Mary, it exactly says this. Where are you going, vagabond? Who do you think you are, murderer? You know, like you're assaulted, like within and without. Wow. That's deep. So you have to drop it. You know, you have to drop it. So again, it takes us back to the first part when Jesus says, don't listen to the outside. Right. And but the biggest enemy is also within. Right. Because it's also self-doubt. Who, who do you think I who am I, you know, to have this experience? Who am I to see the face of God? Right. So these are, the, for me, the, the core teachings of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. And what is interesting at the end, I just uh, have to read it because it is kind of mysterious and perhaps you can help me and your audience also. Yeah, it says, the soul ascended because she went through the four levels of this. And she said, a design has been erased. So it's like a matrix. 
you know, like a, the, the simulation was erased by the virtue of a higher design. This is the last thing. A design has been erased by the virtue of a higher design. So my interpretation, but I'm just interpreting because it's very mysterious, is that once you allow, you know, move through this four level of different initiatory energies, you know, now you are not affected by the lower design because you didn't succumb to its temptation and its threats, so to speak. So now you are one with the higher design. You know what I mean? So for that example, do you know what I just yeah. thought of though? There is a text about it's 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 attributed to Simon Magus. Oh yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what it's called. Someone in the comments might know what it's called, but it's a text that's attributed to Simon Magus, and it's passed down through Justin Martyr. And yeah. so it's uh, and he talks about this ascension through these levels. Ah. So, but I'm I'm not. I, I, it could be completely could be something completely different, but what I'm saying, like suggesting, maybe we sh maybe you should compare those two. Maybe yeah, you'll I think it's a good idea. I have to something out there. That's just my first thought. I'm wondering if anyone. So the, the martyr, he passed it right because of the si yeah, Simon Magus text that he wrote. No, it's called... Because you you know there's lots of book arguments that Simon Magus is the teacher, right? So yeah. So who knows? So uh, yeah, that's what so, I'm saying. There's the the the, the Simonians they were called. There were a group of Christians yeah, called the Simonians, and these Christians are completely different than any any Christians today. They I thought that anybody can be deified, not just Jesus. Simon, ah, because it's I mean, true. They, yeah, if you reached apotheosis, you yeah. became a god and you were worthy of worship. They would make a statue of you. They would put you in the temple. They I had, love they it. had Pythagoras. They had. Poland. I really have to. I really have and to check have it to out. Look up, you have to. So uh, the best sources on Simon Magus are Hippolytus, Irenaeus, but Justin Martyr really goes in to Simonians. Irenaeus, I know. Uh, Irenaeus, you know, he really loved us, didn't he? But at least he passed some knowledge of all of hatred, right? Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, after we're done here, I'll look and find where I got all Thank this you. from. And I'll email it to you because it's really, it's such a good source for the stuff. The early Christians were doing other shit than. The ones that are doing today—they're not the same yeah. at all. And we, 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 yeah, there is no Christianity, you know, like so to speak, anyway, yeah. at the moment. So, so, um, so. And, and one more thing. One more thing. I just remember this. They, um, they said that Simon Magus attained such high apotheosis. He's, he, his, he—the gnosis that he attained was so high, better than Jesus. Mm -hmm. He had a wife named Helena, yeah. and yeah. she they thought was Athena incarnate. Yeah. And Simon Magus, they thought was Zeus. Yeah. So these are like this is a whole different type of Christianity. Yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. I but love the fact yeah, that, that, that you know everybody can achieve it. It's also mentioned in the Gospel of Philip, and also you know uh, going back to the other goddess, you know my book. This is what the, the esoteric tantra teaches. You know you will be walking like gods and goddesses on earth. So basically, God lives within you, and a goddess lives within you as you. You know, yeah. so you the only limitations you have it is because you don't go through the initiatory processes. You don't purify your consciousness, but purify doesn't mean to be holy. But you know, evolving your consciousness. So actually, you already got incarnate. You just don't know it. Yes, that's why and, this and, is and, and they said and they said that yeah, Jesus was uh, Pathio. Yeah, he was a god. He became a god. But so can anyone else. Yeah, it right. wasn't just about they, they didn't call they no, didn't call themselves no. Christians, they called themselves Simonians. Yeah. 
but it was it was it was from that gnostic vein that they came out of yeah and which is egypt too big in egypt too that's very interesting because you see this is what all esoteric teachings are telling you that's why they are being pushed aside like the gnostics you know like the esoteric also hinduism because they tell you you are god you know and of course you have to do some work because you know so you're not caught up for your own sake in your lower level of consciousness believing you know shit that you know is going on around you you know go within and work on yourself but you're god incarnate as you are all you have to do is you know work on your own awareness so this is all esoteric traditions of any standing they teach us they teach us this you know and but i still wonder why they say mm, don't tell anybody maybe because they're afraid of persecution i don't know you know like right yeah why don't mention so anyway but that's super interesting thank you so much i'm so grateful and at the end of course peter says how is it possible that the teacher spoke to this woman in this way of things of which we are not aware ourselves you know i'm paraphrasing right and yeah. should we like abandon our customs and listen to this woman right and i think it's levi who says peter uh shut up basically right you know that teacher called her worthy and he loved her more than us and then they disperse and you know like so this is the gospel of mary yeah oh and there's uh i'm looking at the so Ep- epiphanius mm-hmm. there was called, called the first thought enoia which was female mm-hmm. yes it was to create the angels and the first thought then descended into a lower regions and created angels mm-hmm. uh let's see thereafter she was incarnated, reincarnated many times and being shamed. Her many reincarnations included Helen of Troy. And then she was finally reincarnated as Helen, a slave yes. and prostitute of the Phoenician city of Tyre. Then descended yeah. from descended in the form of Simon Magus to rescue his Enoia and to confer salvation upon men through the knowledge of himself. Wow, there's a lot here. So what I'll do is I'll send. I'm just going to send you all these sources. Yeah, please do. I would really appreciate you know, you'll, it. You'll yeah. be able to compare it all and pick it apart. Yeah, because I'm your, just starting to work on it. So I would really appreciate it. And it's quite interesting because there's different levels of consciousness before you know I completely shut up. Are also present in you know esoteric tantra. They call it tatfas, and I think we have 36 of them or 37. Because what they do it is that they not only look at the levels of ascent but they also go how we descend it and then how we can ascend so it's a little bit similar to the myth of sophia or theology of sophia right because she descends and he has she ascends right? wait until you see this this i just pulled this out real quick uh-huh. out, of the, uh, out of the abyss of the internet oh uh, look at this <laughs> this is called a diagram of simonian aeonology Yes. You got to love that. Aeonology. What? So you have the universal principle, the boundless power, the universal root. So it's like it's different levels, right? You know? Yes. Yes. So exactly. So the incomprehensible silence is exactly, uh, you know, part of pneuma or pneuma, right? So uh, which is the fourth level in the Gospel of Mary. Wow. See, I, I knew there'd be a connection here. Yeah. So there's probably something going on there. Yeah, something going on there. We have to look into it. Yeah, I have to look into it. Um, somebody asked, hmm. did Egyptians celebrate Easter for Isis and Osiris? Yeah, so I think you passed this uh, document. Yeah, to me this I, uh, right? I did. I found a text from Plutarch. And let's just read it. Why don't we just read it and we'll just decide what we think about it. 
It says, for the opinion that the lights of the moon, the risings of the Nile, bear a certain analogy. For the greatest rising that about Elephantine is 80 and 20 cubits, the same in number as the lights and measures of her monthly revolutions. The lowest around Mendes and Chios is, I don't know how to read that. Chios is of mm-hmm. six cubits and analogous of her half quartering and the mean. That around Memphis, what is around regular height, it is 14 cubits corresponding to the full moon. We just had the Paschal moon two days ago. Apis, they say, is the animated image of Osiris. And he is conceived when a generative light falls strongly from the moon and touches a cow that is in heat, for which cause many of the decorations of Apis resemble the appearances of the moon. For he blackens over his shining parts with dusky robes because it is on the new moon of the month of Famineth. By the way, if you look up Famineth, it's the Coptic month that is equivalent to April and Nisan. It's the, it's the month of springtime. That they hold a festival called by them the entrance of Osiris into the moon, being the commencement of springtime, as I just said. Thus they place the power. So it's the first full, the first new moon of the springtime, which is right now, Easter. Thus they place the power of Osiris within the moon and say that Isis being cause of his birth is also his consort. On this account, they call the moon, the mother of Saturn, which is really interesting because Isis is the daughter of Saturn, but they call her the mother of Saturn in this context. And that she is a hermaphrodite nature for she is filled and impregnated by the sun. And again, she emits and disseminates in the air generative principles for that she doth not express the mischief wrought by Typhon or set and being after conquered by birth and bound thereby. She nevertheless emerges again and fights her way to through to Horus. This latter is the universe surrounding the earth and I almost got uh, surrounding the earth, which is not entirely exempt either from generation or destruction. And that's where you get the divine child, mm. Horus. That's and hot. by the way, he's the one going like this, too. Yeah, he's he, going he, like he went, this. He just went back full circle again. Yeah. And just another thing that I forgot to mention when I was talking about, you know, Egypt, that the initiations, you know, the hierophants, you know, to, to, to go through this process of ascension had to happen either during the moon, uh, new moon or full moon. So it was connected with the, uh, you know, phases of the moon as well, like in the text that you just uh, shown. Yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting because we, when Christians date Easter, it's not like it's not like Christmas, December twenty fifth every year is Christmas. Yeah. For some reason, Easter has to move based on the moon cycle. Yes. So they wait for the first full moon of springtime, and then it's the next Sunday after that. There's no set date. It's like if Jesus really died on a certain day, why don't you just mark that day on the calendar? They don't mm. do that. It's not about that. It's this. There's there. There's there. Those roots of the past. The moon uh, tradition, mm, which right. that's, which tells you something. That means something right there. You can't mm. ignore that. Mm. There's something mm. going. There's, it's something with the mysteries. It's something with the traditions. Something with mm. the Passover. There's a lot of stuff going on there. 
Yeah. Uh, in some traditions, we also talk about the movement of the planet Venus, you know, so yep. it's either Moon or Venus or both. So it, it is... is Lucifer, by the way. Don't forget. It's Lucifer. <laughs> it Lucifer, you know? So, so exactly. So it is somehow, you know, all connected to much larger kind of perception of the universe. That's why I was going back, you know, what would Egyptians think rather what what Christians tell, tell us at the moment, right? Because it's a, like last... Uh, opinion, so to speak, but people who actually it was written with a particular vortex, right? Spiritual esoteric vortex. So I'm just kind of trying to um, uh, uncover this as much as possible, of course. Absolutely, I love this stuff. Um, I know you weren't you don't you you're short on time, but anything else you want to touch on? Um, so the anything you want to discuss? Floor is yours. Hmm. Uh, I don't know, like I'm open to the questions because, you know, my concern was when I was preparing for this that maybe it is a little bit too complex, you know, because, I, the, you know, the different level of consciousness, if somebody wants me to repeat something, you no, know. If any, if, yeah, if anyone has questions, just, set, yeah. just type them up and I'll yeah. look at them. Questions. While we're waiting for those to come in, I just want to let everybody know the book, The Other Goddess, Mary Magdalene and the Goddess of Eros and Secret Knowledge. I recommend it. I have a Thank copy. You. Uh, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had it ever since the last time you came on. It's a really good book. And oh, and that's another thing is that you talk about how Mary in, in this book, you discuss that there are traditions about Mary going and, and getting on boats and traveling to the to Europe, right? Yes, yes. So in this, because, you know, there's this very kind of well-known tradition uh, from actually quite the early Middle Ages that Mary did go to France, you know, and I didn't know it in because I was talking about it in the other goddess, but actually there is a Catholic Christian Catholic tradition in southern France in Provence, you know, closer to Italy, that actually they still celebrate her as basically the, uh, the the Saint Mary Magdalene who came on the boat to France, and they do believe that they have her skull. And in fact, oh, yeah. you know, National Geographic did like a three D imaging of this, and you know, it is definitely a woman. Uh, you know, of Mediterranean origin. However, the church didn't allow to scan it for any DNA. Why ruin a bad story with right. truth? Yeah, you gotta right? keep, keep this, keep the legends alive. Vesper, thank you for this. Which is Mary, the daughter of Plato and or Queen of Sheba? I don't know, but I know that uh, somebody. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot his name. I feel so bad. He's writing about that she's some kind of queen, also. You know, but I personally never explored it, and I actually do not necessarily believe it. Just from, you know, we have learned so far, it is most likely that she actually came from money, that she was educated, she, perhaps she was half Egyptian. There are some in esoteric circles, they say that, you know, her father was Egyptian, her mother was Jewish. That's why the impurity on her, because she was a hybrid. You know, she wasn't a pure, uh, of pure Jewish blood. And and I, that think she was I, think she, I think she's connected to the Magi in some way. Uh, absolutely, that's she could I'm... be. And you know, and also that's a, another interesting uh, theory. Thank you for you know bringing to my attention. Now I have to spend time looking. <laughs> you like me? Bad. You have to check everything out. I'm the same way. <laughs> that's right. So um, and that definitely she was a woman of erudition, and this is what also French tradition says, right? That she was a woman of erudition, so she was definitely educated, you know, the way actually Jesus was educated. So the whole thing of poverty and so on, I think, is just a medieval 
for both Mary and Jesus are just the medieval stories. And I think they came from the fact that, the, you know, 99% of the population actually not that different than now, you know, we're in control of 1% of population. And basically it was, there's a hope for you wretches. If not, not in this world, you know, so no point of rebelling, but in other worlds, you know, because look at Jesus and Mary. This right? is a, this is a, uh, a classical philologist uh, trained in language and ancient Greek. Wow, Scythian means mega witch. That's interesting. Mega witch. Very good. Yeah. It's actually very much in line, although I didn't know it when I was re writing it in the other goddess, but I put her in the category of priestesses. I didn't call it witch, but the categories of priestesses, you know, of that, you know, connected with Egypt and, and Sumer and Babylon, right? That's why I said goddesses of Eros and secret knowledge, because I also believe in, in, in the other goddess that Eros, you know, was a very powerful force, especially in, um, in not only in Tantra, but it was also carried on through the female in, in orphism too. Orphis, because the Orphics talked about how Eros is the highest god there is, because mm -hmm. Eros okay. has power over the elements. Um, in, in Plato's Symposium, the uh, Socrates actually, who's arguing, who says that there's no other. Even Zeus has to has to bow down to Eros because Eros can take his ear arrow and hit Zeus, and now Zeus has to do the to the has to bend to the will of Eros. And you you don't That's think right. about that. And there's another text, another text by Longus in Daphne and Chloe, where it, it it's like uh there's like I seen a, a cow get struck by Eros and scream like he was strung by a gadfly. And there's just like this really, there's like this, um, there's this, this idea that Eros is like behind everything. And I'll give you another example. Like when you, when you're reading Homer and, or when you're reading Aeschylus or any of these ancient writers, when Jason gets in trouble in the Argonautica or when Odysseus gets in trouble, what happens? Eros comes along shoots a woman, that woman falls in love with the hero, and then she saves him somehow. In the case yeah. of Jason, you know, yeah. it's, uh, is it Medea, I think it is? In the case of Odysseus, it's, you know, so there's always someone Nausicaa, being... Nausicaa, whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly. They're always being saved by something that Eros does to get them out of trouble. Yeah. So you're yeah, like, so you know, Eros is behind everything. It's kind of weird. It's just weird. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> That's why it's wonderful. That's why I did this cab, you know, I focus on this aspect, but I didn't discuss it in this conversation, you know, in, in the other goddess, you know, what, what's the part of Eros, you know, and, and I went through like classical Tantra, chapter 29, when you have sexual rituals, you know, when you become one with God and you walk like a god or goddess on earth, you know, and I went through the lineage of goddesses started from Nimina and Sumer, you know, and Inanna, Isis, and Mary Magdalene, and I kind of argue what you said before, that actually this is one and the same goddess or priestess, so I, I'm not sure, you know, uh, Christian theology doesn't allow for it, but for example, Hinduism does, because you can be either incarnated being, like avatar, or you through the nose can connect, you know, to this kind of energy. And especially in terms of Inanna, there are these beautiful erotic poems, which are beauty, you know, if you want something really erotic that is not dark, you know, uh, uh, a, a woman, you know, calling up, Inanna calling up to her lover, you know, extremely erotic, extremely sexy, you know, but not dark. I want to stress, you know, uh, poems, which are very sexual, 
you know, and she yeah. was the highest deity. So somehow, and, and this is also what I argue in Via the Goddess, you know, we pushed the eros, we pushed our sexuality to the shadows, right? And we pushed yeah. the feminine to the shadows, which both can be the, not only, but are some of the means of ascension as well. So well, ascension through eros. Well, to go back to Osiris for a second, when he's being resurrected, his first thing that happens is his he gets an erection. As he's in his coffin, he's laying there dead. First yeah. thing that happens is he gets an erection. Yeah. I, Isis, Isis turns into a bird and then flies over and then basically jerks him off. That's right. That's, that's so, how I describe and, it. And that's the first thing that happens. That's how he gets, a, that's how he gets and resurrected. And not only that, it's not only that. She really is looking for his penis, you know, because he was spread for, 40, depending on mythology, 14 or 42 parts. Right? Yeah, the golden number. And you know, she says, but okay, where is Venus? And again, I was looking at the uh, analogies in the other goddess with Tantra. And in Tantra, you know, goddess Kali does the same exactly what uh, Isis does, you know, to Osiris. Goddess Kali has got Shiva lying dead on the battlefield or like deadish, you know, and she manages to resurrect him by riding him because, you know, it's Tantra, so although he's dying, his penis is still erect, right? And so she basically... This, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a connection in my opinion. Yeah, it's a Tantric, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a Tantric, classical Tantra, you know, and she sees him. Shiva, Shiva and Bacchus have a lot in common. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. And she, she sees his eyes, looks into his eyes, and basically sits on top of him, right? Right, because his penis is still erect, like Osiris's, you know? Wow. And, and she writes him, and she basically not only resurrects him, but uh, the order and harmony returns back to the universe, which before was controlled by the demons that were caught with killing all the gods and people. They're both but, blue, too. Osiris, yeah, both blue. Osiris is depicted sometimes completely blue. And Shiva is blue. And Shiva is blue. Whoa, I think we found a connection there with Shiva. And also, and you Dionys know, with, uh, Dionysus you know, as well, you know. Dionysus and also uh, Mary Magdalene as Isis is also in red, you know, and, and, and Kali is also in red, you know. So it is just uh, all of this kind of symbolic colors kind of are. When Kali like, and Shiva unite, they become Arden, Arden, Arden Yes. Yeah. Wow. This is. I love this stuff. I um, love this too. So you know, oh, but, but real quick, I just want to say something on that. The, the the Jesus thing. People try to say that there's no sexual stuff going on with him. It's all these other gods, not Jesus though. It's like, what are you talking about? Right before he gets arrested, he's being his feet are being massaged with with oils, and that's a sexual scene right there. If you actually read between the lines, you know what's going on there. Yeah, it is a sexual and all, all of his all of his disciples are pissed about it. What are they pissed about? Yeah, There's that's something right. going on there. And you know that she, and she's doing it. You know, this woman is touching him. Woman that's doing it, and right? And she's massaging him, which is actually again classical tantra because you have to lose use oils yeah, to massage off of his hair and so on. And also both in the Gospel of Mary, but also in the Gospel of Philip. You know, in Gospel of Philip, especially, she's called his Kononos, which is basically intimate partner, which in New Age interpretation is his wife, because, you know, they cannot deal with this, right? But she's basically called his intimate partner, you know? So I think that relationship was more of a, like a priestess and, a, you know, and, and, and they had this kind of relationship. She right? was the Sybil. 
Yeah, she was a Sibyl, exactly, yes. And she was doing her job the way that Inanna and Huedana, which is the priestess of Inanna, was doing, you know, and, uh, and, and you know, even Isis needs his penis, you know what I mean? To, to, to... Yeah, Jesus is like a Tamos figure. Yeah. Where, where Tamos gets killed by these demons, ripped apart, thrown down in the underworld, and then guess who has to save his ass? The woman, yeah. the Ishtar, yeah. the Sotaria. She yeah. goes down. And she takes off her garments one by one and enters down the different layers of hell and then mm-hmm. stands in front of the king of the underworld and says, give me my great lover story. back. Yeah, great and, story. And they have to take it. They have to accept it because it's the savior. And then That's she right. brings him back up. And then as she brings him back up, what happens? Springtime happens. It's the same yeah. story. Is this that, a and, that, and that was called the Akitu Festival. It was celebrated right now. Right now is when the Kichu festival will be celebrated. Right now, springtime, Easter. So, you know, to answer your question, I think that exactly that the reason why they desexualize Jesus, it is because for some reason, and that's why I talked about it in the other goddess, some the feminine and sexual was removed, not because they didn't like women or something, which they probably didn't, you know, then, but because there is certain power in this ritual. And the power that, you know, empowers us and they don't want us to know it, you know, so it just sounds like a conspiracy theory. But for some reason, this esoteric traditions, you couldn't speak about it, maybe out of fear. You know what I mean? But actually, there's a huge power in Eros and all of these traditions have it. But that's why they allow her, you know, Mary Magdalene to be somehow around him and to be somehow sexual, but in a demeaned kind of version of her. Right. But they still didn't manage to get rid of her. And she's like Isis. She's there. You know, she's present at his moment of resurrection, right? Yeah, look at this. I just found this from, uh, what is this from? This is from World Encyclopedia History. You know, mm-hmm. a tr- trusted source here. Mm-hmm. It talks about how the descent of Inanna, mm-hmm. we're talking Bronze Age here, chronicles mm-hmm. of the journey of Inanna, the great goddess of the Queen of Heaven, from the realm of the sky to Earth, down into the underworld, where she visits her widowed sister, Ereshkigal, mm-hmm. queen of the dead. That's like Persephone, right? So yes. then it says that she goes from the above. She descends down. And um, there's her and Demutzi, the one who mm-hmm. just died. Yeah. Summary. And Nana is dressed in her finest clothes and wears the crown of heaven. And then that imagery, if anybody who's anybody who's like immersed in these texts knows, when you hear about a, uh, a goddess that has the crown of heaven, that's Urania. That's that's the the queen of heaven, basically. It's common. Like you hear that with a lot of different goddesses. Anyways, beads around her neck, her breastplate, golden ring carries her scepter, the rod of power. Just before she enters the underworld, she gives Ninserbar instructions on how to come to her aid should she fail and return when unexpected. Upon her arrival, the gates of the underworld and Nana knocks loudly and demands entrance. I am a Nana, queen of the heaven. So she goes down. And then this is where it gets crazy. And Nana enters the throne of the room of Ereshkigal, naked and bowed low, bowed low. Then Anuna, the judges of the underworld, surrounded her. They passed judgment against her. Then Ereshkigal fastened on Inanna the eye of death. She spoke against her the word of wrath. She uttered against her the cry of guilt. She struck her. And Nana was turned into a corpse, a piece of rotting meat, and was hung on the hook on the wall. This is almost wow. like a crucifixion happening right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And then so no linen was spread over her body. Her breasts were uncovered. Her hair swirled around her like leeks. The poem continues to describe the queen experiencing the pains of labor. 
The Gala sympathize with the queen's pains, and she, in gratitude, offers them whatever gift they ask for. As ordered by Enki, the Gala respond. By the way, these are eunuch priests, Gala. Just so you guys know, those are eunuch priests. We wish only to the corpse that hangs from the hook on the wall. And a rescue call gives it to them. The Gala revive Inanna with the food and the water of life. And she yes. rises from the dead. So you, so look, as they're, they're, they compare it as they should to the Greek of Demeter Persephone. This is the myth of springtime. Yes. This is the is. reason why. So the, the ancients understood this sacred myth. The reason why the crops grow back every year. The reason why the trees go back every year. The reason why uh, you get crops and you get fruits and vegetables is because of the descent into the underworld by the goddess and the re yeah. resurrection of the dead. Yes, yes, and it's totally, but at the same time, and it's absolutely this, but at the same time, there's also an esoteric meaning to it that is tell telling us, you know, to descend to our basically depths, right? And to raise our consciousness, you know, because as we said, this language has certain, there's different levels. So this is one is about fertility, you know, like for the farming society and so on. And another, it's actually story of the descend and ascend of your consciousness which is present in all basically esoteric traditions, whether it's in Hinduism or Egypt, you know, or European traditions. So, yeah, and that's why it happens during the spring as a festival, because then it is visible also to a naked eye, right? Yeah. Well, this, what, this, is, this is what the Akitu festival is. Yes. The Akitu festival, what, so the Babylonian New Year didn't start in January 1st. It started on April 1st. So right today would be the, we'd, we'd be in the first week of the New Year right now. If we were living in Babylon, ancient Babylon, right now, it'd be the first week of the new year. and We'd be celebrating the new year. Springtime is the new year, which I think should be the case. Why are we celebrating the new year in the middle of the well, I'm in Australia, so actually I'm celebrating. That's, that's true. You're, you're, you have a difference, but still. I am upside down. So yeah. But yeah, if you actually, so if I pull up the Wikipedia page real quick, a key to, see, date April 1st. Yeah. So for them, it's the new year. But for yes. us, it's Easter. Yes. So that's the Akitu festival where they celebrate yeah. the Marduk and um, Ishtar. Yeah. So it is the same story repeated over and over again. Exactly. You know, And even Joseph Campbell, he said when he was speaking in the Jesuit seminaries and he was reminding the priests, you know, like, look, the story was told many times before. And they said they knew it. They didn't pretend they didn't know it. They just thought that this story was more special and final. Okay, so this is my interpretation, but they actually know it. But I think that this story, we, my understanding of the story is that we should really focus on the esoteric meaning of this. You know, it doesn't matter really who first or who second, although I think I agree. it matters from a scholarly point of view. But it, we should read it in a sense that empowers us. You that's, know? What the Roman, that's what the Roman Imperial Cult was doing. The Roman Imperial Cult was like, okay, we realize that all of these different places that we just conquered, we just conquered Cyprus. They got Venus yeah. and Adonis. We just yes. conquered Phrygia. They got Addis and Kybele. You know, the Greeks got Demeter. The Egyptians got Isis and Osiris. And they're seeing all these myths that are aligned. So they yeah. start, th that's how you get Ovid's Metamorphosis. I yes. mean, Ovid wrote Metamorphosis during the same century that the Romans conquered the whole Meta. It's not a coincidence that you get this synchronistic poem written by Ovid in the first century BCE, right before you're know, right at the end of the first century, right before the first century, the common era, Ovid writes all these poems in Latin 
that are these aren't these aren't originally Latin stories. These are originally Greek and Egyptian and Phrygian, but he's writing them all into one place. It's where you get Ovid's Metamorphosis, and that's how you get all these Roman the Roman tradition is about incorporating all these myths and then looking at the esoteric meaning. Of, what does this really mean? Oh, it's the resurrection of springtime. Oh. You know what I mean? And that's, there's, yes. there's different layers to the text. But there are different layers of the text. And I think that romance, most of the romance, you know, of course, there are some good romance as well, you know, and philosophers like Marcus Aurelius and so on, you know. Uh, also, they really didn't get the meaning. That's why I was saying that, you know, what happened to the reading of hieroglyphics and, you know, esoteric traditions that people understood less and less of them, so to speak, right? So eventually it just became just about the Spring Festival. Uh, rather than what does the spring festival actually symbolize on an esoteric level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the, there's the connection between the self and the nature. Yeah. And self and nature and also, you know, exactly, absolutely, self and nature. So this is, so in a way, like Easter or, you know, the spring festival, it's almost to remember, to remind people, you know, actually this rebirth is possible for you, not in a crude way, you know, you're being born in the same body, but actually, you know, on an esoteric level. Yeah, you too. you too can have a springtime in your life. Yeah, it is. It is. Exa exactly. You have a spring within you, just you have to wake up. So this is what all, it's all about awakening. It's about spiritual awakening. And I think, I'm not sure if I mentioned it before, but I, I'm talking about romance in Egypt, that is quite interesting, but the romance couldn't conquer Egypt. And I learned it from Magical, uh, Magical Egypt series, you know, until they store the magical papyri. Because they said there is something in this place. You know, so they said, so they, they, they stole the magical papyri, you know, and then once they, you know, uh, did it, they had no problem of uh, conquering Egypt. So, there, you know, there is some kind of knowledge there, so to speak. But this is really that kind of historical curiositas. But uh, what we have to remember, the Spring Festival is about showing us about our own spring, about our own spiritual evolution and possibility for us. And by saying this, I'm completely distancing myself from all institutionalist religions. This is not what it is that I'm talking right. about. But I, in a, in a inborn potential that for some reason, you know, uh, we are not aware of. You know, maybe some secret societies are aware of are some esoteric traditions. And these traditions were also hidden from us. You know, that's why it is like, you know, you, you shouldn't be talking about it. But well, this you, is mentioned, you, mentioned how, you mentioned how we lost knowledge over time. Mm -hmm. And those that the the Egyptian hieroglyphs and also the Akkadian high, uh, cuneiform writing that oh, yeah. was that was um, those are stuff that people used to know how to cipher and then mm -hmm. they lost it over that that knowledge did not get passed down from teacher to student at some point mm -hmm. in time they lost that ability and it, it wasn't it wasn't until recently the last century or two that we figured out how to read it again. We just, yes, and we only just chose, and we still, for example, we'll like the, with the Rosetta it, Stone, for example, the Rosetta Stone or in your cuneiform, we learn to read the hieroglyphics or cuneiform only on the basic level. Like, what does it actually say? It says about some loss or something. But we don't even understand the second level. Sometimes when we read, you know, about different mythologies, right? Sumerian mythologies or Egyptian, we understand some of the second level, but we still... Uh, largely do not understand the third level, which is the esoteric level of hieroglyphics or cuneiform, you know, which is actually where the wisdom, hidden wisdom is carried, right? Yeah, they have a lot of puns too. So a lot of times one word can mean two different things. And sometimes, they, right. play, sometimes they play puns a lot. Like, 
Yeah, that's right. And I had actually some examples from hieroglyphics, but I, I unfortunately lost it. You know, when I was preparing yeah. for there's a lot program. of that stuff. That's another. We, we should definitely do an episode on that one time. Yeah, yeah, on, on hieroglyphics and you know this stuff because uh, I just was trying to organize the material and I thought, how can I simplify the Gospel of Mary? And you know, and I lost some of this Egyptian stuff. You know, because as I said, it's it's still new for me. That's that's a new research for me. Well. Um, the, the links for your book and all that is in the description. You also, all the websites in there, everything's in the description, go and check that out. Any last thoughts before we, uh, close this out? Okay. So just on a very mundane level, I'm also on Facebook, you know, so you can get me as Dr. Joanna Kuyava, but also I think like, um, I, I'm, can I make a social commentary just at the very end? Yeah. So I think that this kind of text, like the gospel of Mary Magdalene or with its esoteric tantra, they're very difficult, but there are difficult on purpose because they are initiatory, initiatory texts. The te you don't really need a hierophant. You can be your own hierophant. So devoting yourself, for example, to reading, even if you don't understand anything at the beginning. It took me 17 years to get to this point, right? And it's not such a big deal what I actually learned so far, right? So, but they initiate you. Why? Because they awake this kind of possibility in your own consciousness, right? So you don't want, you need to wait for some hierophant to awake you, so to speak. And I think it is really important that we focus our energies on this, you know, for people who, who want to. Uh, so, you know, like serious seekers, so to speak, or serious spiritual detectives, because my commentary is, is that, you know, there's so much negativity going at the end at here because we live in such a weird reality, <laughs> denying that, you know, even I have to say this. But I notice that people prefer to listen to how things are horrible and they are really complex to, you know, to say the least, but there is a way out, right? So I would say that maybe we could focus on the way out by reading initiatory texts, you know, working on ourselves rather than obsessing maybe about, you know, the archons and simulation because there is a way out. So I don't know, did I say something politically incorrect? <laughs> For the not show? At all. Not at all. Because this is what the Gnostics and, you know, Tantrics, this is what they were saying, you know, there is a way out. You know, you just have to bring yourself like, like, a few days ago somebody says it's like Jacob's ladder exactly you know like it's you just have to walk the steps of your own consciousness otherwise you do feed the, the lower powers you know the more attention you give them right so that's why there is this esoteric saying the world is as you see it right and it means if you're on a higher level of consciousness you see the world in a completely different way. The lower design was destroyed by the power of higher design and this higher design is in your hands there was a doesn't make sense. <laughs> I'm just, you know. I love it. I love it. I yeah. love it. That's yeah. um, that's awesome. And I'm glad to have you back here. We'll do this again for Thank sure. Thank you so much. It's always such a great pleasure. Thank you, Neil. Thank and you. And you have just attained true gnosis. You have just attained true gnosis. The Demiurge has no power over you. Jesus.